Awesome. Welcome to church. Who's enjoying church so far? Good, good. Hey, uh, as Patsy said, my name is, uh, is Jono, and, and I have the, the privilege of, of speaking this morning uh, and leading the church for the next uh, three months as Jordan and Chrissy, our senior pastors, are overseas on sabbatical. They are in Denmark at the moment, which is, which is really exciting, so make sure you keep them uh, in your prayers. But we are in the middle. We've just started it last week, which makes it now in the middle. We're in the middle of a series about stuff, right? And we're really looking at, um, we're looking at stuff, right? In life, there's lots of stuff. Who knows that? Yeah, there's lots of stuff in life. And, and, and last week, we looked at um, the story of, of the original desperate housewife, right? This Samaritan woman at the well, this woman who, who she is the, the biblical example, if ever there was one, of someone with a lot of stuff in her life. Right, she had a, a whole lot of stuff going on, and, and, and in this story, she's just this example of of the lowest person in in, in the world, really. She, she's of the Samaritans who are the lowest kind of people in terms of the Jewish mindset, and and of the Samaritans, she's this woman who's been uh, rejected and discarded, and and yet here Jesus is, he meets her when she's hiding from everyone else, and he tells her that the gospel is for her, that everyone else has told her that she was out. And Jesus tells her that she was in, that, that, that she was loved, right? Because here's the thing, in, in life, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And we often use that stuff in life to try and make us feel valued, right? To try and, try and make us feel like we're worth something, to try and fill that hole that's within us. And, and, and stuff isn't always bad, right? So often we take something that's good, a good thing, and we put it in the wrong place and, and, and it ends up disappointing us, right? And so in this series, we're looking at stories where people encounter Jesus and they realize that they've been putting stuff in the place Jesus needs to be, that they've been trying to fill their life with, with the wrong thing. Right? See, this morning, I hope that no, no matter what, right, no matter the difficulties and the challenges that you face, that, that you know that there's a God who loves you. You know that there's a God who's, whose love for you is guaranteed, that there's a God who you can anchor yourself in, that, that no matter what you're going through, that you can experience meaning and, and satisfaction in Him, right? That's what we're centering this series around. It's a series on stuff because really everything else is just stuff. The one thing that matters is God, right? So this morning, what I'd like to do is, is I want to turn to Mark chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 23 to 28. It's just short. Uh, And I'm reading from the message translation. We'll chuck it up on the screen uh, as well so you can read along with it. It says this. One Sabbath day, he, that's Jesus, was walking through a field of ripe grain. As his disciples made a path, they pulled off heads of grain. The Pharisees told on them to Jesus, look, your disciples are breaking Sabbath rules. Jesus said, really, haven't you ever read what David did when he was hungry, along with those who were with him? How he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar with the chief priest, Abiathar, right there watching, holy bread that no one but the priests were allowed to eat. And he handed it out to his companions. Then Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. The Son of Man is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray. God, I thank you for church. I thank you for who we are, that we're a community of people, God, that we're a family, that we're a bunch of friends challenging each other, encouraging each other to to go further in our relationships with you, God. 
Thank you that we get to meet with you here this morning. Thank you that you're always available, but, but when we set aside this time and this place to gather communally and listen to what it is you're saying, that you're always speaking, but your voice is just amplified, God. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, that we would know something more of who you are, your love, your call, your, just, just your, your amazing presence would be with us here this morning, God. God, that we would leave differently when we came in. Not because of songs or, or speaking, but because our heart encountered your heart, God. God, that you would change us. Thank you that you love us, that you're with us, that you want to change the world through us. In Jesus' name. When I was a kid, uh, I used to go camping, right? Who here went on camping trips as a child? Yeah? Who here didn't go on camping trips? Who here has never, has never been camping? Putty, it's all right. We'll take you camping one day, right? But Putty just has to go and uh, stay on Amanda's dad's launch. So don't feel too sorry for him, right? It's like camping just on the ocean. You've been ocean camping, it counts, right? But, but as a kid, my family, every summer, we'd go on a summer camping trip, right? And, and it wasn't like, don't feel bad for me. It wasn't like mum and dad gave me a tarpaulin and, and like a yoga mat and we're like, go sleep under the stars. We'll see you in two weeks, son, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that. We went what might be called glamping now, right? We had a powered site. We had like a gas cooker. It, it was like, it was, it was lush, right? And, and then, but as I got older, uh, I became a teenager and I wanted my own kind of space. So then I got shoved off, shoved off into like the, the pup tent and that didn't have anything. And, and then I learned the hard way not to put stuff against the walls when it's raining. And uh, it was great, right? I learned a lot of life lessons camping. But, but one of my favorite things every year was our summer camping trip. Right, and I loved my favorite thing about it was every time we'd go somewhere different. Right, I've seen pretty much all of New Zealand because every summer, mum and dad would be like, "Right, this time we're going to drive 14 hours to this remote place where you don't have any cell phone access or or anything like that, and we're just going to be family." Right, which at the time was like, "Please, what have I done wrong?" But now looking back on, I really enjoy it. Right, but one of my favorite things that we used to do is every four to five years, every other year we'd go somewhere new, but every four to five years, we'd go to a place called Marahau. Does anyone know Marahau? Yeah, Mar- Laura knows because she's from Nelson. All the people from Nelson are like, yeah, of course. Right, Marahau is um, it's in the, the top of the South Island. It's kind of in the Abel Tasman uh, National Park, and, and it's just over the hill from Motueka, which means nothing to you as well, because if you don't know where Marahau is, you probably don't know where Mot is, but it's, it's kind of just this beach, and it, it's a beautiful beach uh, that they call it the they call it the gateway to the Able Test. I don't know. Laura's like, yeah, of course. You're an expert on all things South Island. Um, but but it, it's amazing, right? And we used to go there every four to five years because my cousins and their cousins had a beach house there, right? And, and so we'd always be, you know, going camping, camping, and, and you'd have kind of, you know, you'd have to do your washing up in the in the kitchen provided a campground and that kind of thing. But every four to five years, it would be like that next level camping because we'd get to camp in their backyard and we wouldn't have to share a toilet with like 200 other people at the campground. And it, it was flash. And we got to see my cousins, right? We got to spend two whole weeks with my cousins, which was, which was amazing, right? And I, I can remember that, you know, those memories of going water skiing, of, of playing, you know, um, like bull rush in the backyard, of reading our books, of those games of risk, that lasts like five days. You guys know what I mean? And the stakes get higher and higher and higher, right? But I can also remember that feeling after that two weeks ended and we went back home of relief, right? Because I was still on speaking terms with my cousins. Because who knows, when you get a whole lot of family together, often you get a whole lot of similar personalities, right? 
you get your cousin, and for some reason your cousin infuriates you sometimes because they behave just how you behave. Right, I've got one cousin in particular, right, Stephen, and, and he's like a year younger than me, but he thinks he's the boss, and I know I'm the boss. And so whenever we see each other, there's always this, like, a bit of an alpha off to say, wait, well, who's the boss of the cousins, right? I always win, of course, because I'm the boss. Right, but, but whenever we got that family together, there was always two things that, that were quite obvious. The first thing was that, you know, competitive nature might run in the family. That was quite obvious. And the second thing was that we all had the same eyebrows, like, it's weird. You could line us up, and it would just look like, an, like one continuous eyebrow just going along the entire family. It was, like, the rest, we're, we're different, like, half of my cousins are, like, olive skin and, and, like, you know, like, look like they're from some Mediterranean island, and then their other, the other brother and sister are, like, red-headed and look Scottish, but everyone's got the same eyebrows. It's, and then there's me, and I'm obviously gloriously beautiful, but I've still got the same eyebrows. Right, does anyone have like a family trait that you're like, yeah, no, nah, everyone in our family has that nose, right? Or, or those ears or that hairy back or, or whatever it is, right? Families have those kind of things. It's, it's weird, right? You can look at someone and be like, oh, yeah, no, nah, that's, that's a Brown or, or that's a McGregor or, or that's a Smith, right? You know what I mean? See, see in, in the Bible, there's this family. It's a really big family. It's bigger than my or, or your family. It's, it's the nation of Israel, right? And they consider themselves to be one big family. And they've got a couple of characteristics that they define themselves by, right? That they say, oh, you can spot this person. They're a part of our family, the Jewish nation, because they do these things, right? The first one was if you're a man, you're circumcised. We're not going to get into the nuances of that this morning. Just let's leave it at that, right? If you're a man, you're circumcised. If you want to talk about it more later, you can talk about it to Patti, right? It's fine. Patti is a Equipus Church Wellington expert in circumcision. Why? Because I don't want to be. That's the main reason why. No, right? But the second thing that they did is they had this thing called the Sabbath, right, where every other nation would work on the seventh day of the week. The Jewish people would stop. They would stop everything that they were doing, and, and they would rest. And they'd do that because it was an instruction given to them by God, right? God had told them to rest, right? The Sabbath gets its beginning from God, who created the heavens and the earth, and then on the seventh day... God rested. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall, you shall not do any work, right? Keeping the Sabbath is, is the fourth commandment. It's this sacred and holy day for the Jewish people, total and complete rest, just as God had modeled. And observing this day was of huge significance to the people. It, it was a, a massive part of who they were as a culture, right? Moses was on um, Mount Sinai for 11 chapters of Exodus, right? 11 chapters of Exodus, he's up on the mountain and he's, and he's talking to God. And the last commandment God reminded Moses of is he's about to head back down to the people. The last thing that, that, that God says to him as he's heading out is to remind him of the Sabbath. He says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. See, God was saying that He is the one who's going to provide for the Israelites, that He's the one who's going to intercede on the behalf, that, that it's God that makes them special, that it's God that makes them holy, that it's God that makes them prosperous, that they would know that, that deep down inside them, their mantra would be, we do nothing because God does everything. Right, God meets our needs. See, that, that, that was the message that God intended for the people to understand. 
that while all the other nations worked, while everyone else got an extra day in the week to, to accomplish things, to work, to, to go about business, to go about politics, to, to further themselves, they would rest. And as they rested, they would be blessed. See, that they would know that it's not their strength, that it's not their might, but that God commanded their armies, that God was in charge. Right, and it's crazy, an entire nation doing nothing for 24 hours looked ridiculous, right? This was before union laws, right? This was before a mandated weekend. People didn't just take five days and then have like a weekend off. You worked every day, and you worked every day because if you didn't, you'd die. You worked every day or else the crops didn't come in next year. You'd, you'd work every day or else an invading army would come at you. You worked every day or else your livestock would run away or die. See, this is, this is ludicrous to these people in this time. Because the purpose was to remember that God was the one who provides. Right? God continues in, in Exodus chapter th- 31. He says, you should keep my Sabbath. This is a sign between me and you throughout the generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from amongst the people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. This is serious stuff, right? God's like, hey, rest. People at Israel are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 hey, rest. Right, this is important. You don't rest, off with the head. Right, he's driving this point home here. The Sabbath was an, an important institution given as a gift by God to the Jews. Right? It, was a, it was a day to be enjoyed, to, to look forward to. It was like a holiday one day a week. Right? But, but what, what ended up happening was by the time we run into Jesus, and at this point in this time in history, is the Sabbath was, was not as God had intended. Right, it was meant to be this day of rest that, that was enforced, yes, but, but it was intended in such a way that it never needed to be enforced. That it was a day of rest, that it was a gift given to you, that, that you wouldn't work on it because you understood what it was about. But what's ended up happening is, is thousands of years after God has given this gift to his people, in Jesus' day and age, there was a debate going on about what work actually was. Right? And, and see, what had happened is thousands of Pharisees were debating the definition of work. Right, what does it mean to work? They would debate on and on, day after day, year after year, for, for, for entire periods of their life, right, dedicated to debating what is the definition of work. Some scholars say that there, are, there were 6,000 Pharisees at any one point who were all just working on this one thought, what is work? Right, the nation of Israel was pretty obsessed with this idea. And because of this, there was this, this terror. There was this, this fear that, that permeated the entire culture, right? Because what was happening is, is every day there were new definitions being made up about what you could and couldn't do, right? About this was punishable, but this wasn't. This was in and this was out. This was the right thing to do. This was the wrong thing. These were the rules, right? And they kept on changing. And as a result, no one knew if they were in or out. No one knew when they were safe. No one knew if, if they could go get their donkey on the Sabbath when it ran away or if now that was not allowed and you'd get killed for it, right? And so as a result, everyone was living in fear. Imagine if there was one day a week and you weren't sure what you were allowed to do. Right, last week you're allowed to water your plants, but only the pot plants inside. But then you do that next week and your neighbor walks around and he's like, what are you doing? I just water my plants like I do every week. Oh, I know. Gonna die. Right, like seriously, this is what's going on. 
This is the environment they're in. This is the, the climate that, that they're in, right? As a result, the Sabbath had become the least favorite day amongst the Jewish people, right? This day that was meant to be glorified, this day that was meant to be rest, that was meant to be amazing, had become something that they feared, right? People would, would huddle in their homes just hoping that they didn't do anything wrong, just trying to make their way through it, just trying to get through the Sabbath without violating some new rule. Right, what started off as, as this great gift was now terrorizing an entire nation. And unfortunately, this seems to be something that we do, right? This is human nature. We, we take something that's a beautiful gift, and we so often turn it into a vehicle to terrorize people. Right, can, can you imagine Jesus, he, he understands the, the landscape and the context that he's in. He understands what's happening. So on one of these terrifying Sabbath days, Jesus and his, his people, Jesus and the disciples are, are in the fields and they're collecting grains and eating it, right? They're walking through the field and they're, and they're just pulling off grain and, and they're feeding themselves. And the Pharisees observed this and they confronted it, which begs the question, why were the Pharisees in the field in the first place? Like they're Pharisees, they should be in the temple, they should be in the city. They're, they're not people that work the field and on a Sabbath, no one's meant to be in the field. So here you have these Pharisees, and they were actually working on the Sabbath because their job was to find people who were working, but the rules didn't apply to them, right? So there they were, and they were looking for people doing the wrong thing. See, they were, they were defined not by what they were for, but by what they were against. See, it's far too easy for the church to become defined by what we're against rather than what we're for, to be a place where we're, what we rally around is what we rally against, that we're not for anything, we're just against a whole lot of different things. To become a political institution that rather than loving people, rallies and tries to tell them what they can and cannot do. See, as a church, as a Quippers Church Wellington, we don't want to be defined by what we're against. We want to be defined by what we're for, that we are for love, that we are for hope, that we are for healing, that we are for people, that we are for grace, that we're for, more, that we're for mercy. Right, that we're, that we're not defined by, oh, that's the church that don't want you to do this. That's the church that if you do this, you're not allowed, that you're out, that you're excluded. Right, but so often, so easily, that's what happens. Right, so, so, so here we are, the, the Pharisees, they're, they're astonished. Right, they're, they're flabbergasted that Jesus and his people would break the law so brazenly, so openly, so honestly, right? They're, they're walking through the fields in, in full view of everyone, not trying to hide it at all, just eating grain. Right, openly breaking the rules. And so the Pharisees confront them, and Jesus' response is nothing short of divine, right? So they're there, they're in the fields. The Pharisees told on, on the disciples to Jesus, and Jesus says, really, haven't you ever read what David did when he was hungry, along with those who were with him? Right, see, this is funny because all the Pharisees did was read. Their entire life was dedicated to reading and telling you what, what they read meant. Their entire life was, was reading and giving instruction, reading and telling you, no, you should do this, you shouldn't do this. He's, he's asking them, have you not read what David did? Their entire culture is built around what David did, right? Probably that morning, they already read what David did twice. What do you mean, if we read what David did? We're Pharisees. Yes, kind of what we do. Right, they call me Pharisee number one, the guy who reads what David does. It's my job. What do you mean have we read what David did? See, but the Pharisees would have given David a pass on that. No, 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 David can break the rules in that way because David is the king. David is the chosen one of God, right? David can get away with it. But you, Jesus, you're just some rabbi who's causing trouble. 
Why do you think your disciples can get away with it? Why do you think your See, because what Jesus is actually saying here, and he says, Has, haven't you heard what David did? She's saying that he is on the same level as David. In fact, he goes on to say that he is much greater than David because then Jesus shares the heart of the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you've taken a gift from God, but this gift that God will work for you so that you don't have to work, so that you can be reminded weekly that you are not God that you don't hold the stars in the sky, that you don't heat the earth spinning, that you don't keep your heart beating, that there is someone and something greater than you, bigger than you, who is working on your behalf, right? They've taken this gift and, and, and they've violated it. They've turned it into something that it was never meant to be. In fact, what they've done is they've taken this gift and they've rewrapped it and they've tried to give it back to God. They've taken this gift of rest, and they've taken it, and they said, okay, God, you've given us rest. We'll rewrap this rest as obligation, as rules, as making you love us, as bargaining with you, as earning your approval. We'll rewrap it, and we'll give it back to you. And Jesus is saying, the gift you're trying to give God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. See, the Sabbath is not a gift we give to God. The Sabbath is a gift that God gave us. We think that, that life is about man who can serve creator, right? Man who can, can serve God, but that's not what it's about. Life isn't about us serving God. It's about God loving us. That's what makes our message unique in the world, right? Where everyone else says, this is how you earn approval. This is how you work your way up the ladder. This is how you make your way into this level of heaven. We just say God loves the world, unearning Right, without, without us accomplishing it, without us making him love us, God loves us. He, he loves, God loves people who don't even know that he exists. Right, God loves people who willfully ignore him. God loves those who turn around and walk away from sin. This is how the Sabbath works. This is how relationship with God works. The whole plan of redemption is that God seeks us out. Not that we chase God down and say, hey, could you forgive me for my sins? Hey, God, just as you're leaving, I've got an idea. I'll behave really well and you can count off all the other stuff I've done. It's about Jesus going up on the cross when we couldn't earn it, when we couldn't deserve it and, and dying for us. But we turn it all around, right? One minute we do something and, and we offer it to God to try and impress him. And, and on the other hand, we've got the Pharisees bragging about not doing anything on the Sabbath. Right, so we're like, hey, God, look, look what I'm doing to impress you. And also, hey, everyone, look what I'm not doing to impress you. Right, this kind of double serving, this, this double dipping, right? Which one is it? Isn't it silly what they're doing? This is what happens when we're too busy trying to, to give gifts back to God. When we're too busy to accept the gift that he's given to us. See, God gave the gift of the Sabbath, but the point is not for us to take it and to show God how good we are. The Sabbath wasn't a day of testing. It wasn't a day to, to earn love. Jesus came to flip the script, right? The Sabbath wasn't ever a thing that man could do for God. It was a gift from God to man. And then Jesus makes the highest claim possible, right? Then Jesus says that the Son of Man is, is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. It says in the NLT translation, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And the reason that he says even is because the Sabbath was the most divine institution for Israel. 
right? And Jesus is saying, no, no, he's even more important than that because he created it, because he directs it, because he dictates it. Jesus is saying that he is God and he is also the Sabbath. That now we have a God who is our rest. It says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For those rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. See, at this point in history, the Sabbath had been lost, right? And what Jesus was saying was, would have been hard to interpret. Right, when he says, I am the Sabbath, I am rest, no one is thinking of the Sabbath as rest. They're thinking of the Sabbath as fear, as a place to hide from God, to hide from those who represented God in that culture. Right, and, and so we're clear, this is how the Sabbath started. Right, the creation story, there are six days in which God creates the heavens and the earth, when he creates everything out of nothing. Right, and then on the seventh day, God rested. Right? See, see, what's happening here is it's not your education, it, it, it's, it's not your work or, or, or brilliance that make life go. Right? The Sabbath is, is God saying, remember that I do everything. Remember that I am the one in control. On the Sabbath day, you do nothing and I do everything. On the Sabbath day, you remember that it's not the stuff. That in life we have so much stuff. But on Sabbath, we remember that it's not about the stuff. God is saying, I have provided that. And when all the nations work and you don't, you will be a testimony to the world that this is a blessing that is undeniable and inexplicable. That you are resting and yet you are thriving. See, Jesus comes along and he says that he's Lord, right? Even of the Sabbath. And there's a symmetry here, right? When, when it comes to creation, everything was finished on the seventh day. So God rested right, because it was done, everything was finished, and in redemption, Jesus said that it is finished, right, John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, as he's on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, right, the last thing that Jesus says before he dies is, it is finished, right, and so if in redemption, Jesus has finished it, that means that we can rest, Right, God rested because he'd finished creation. And we can rest because Jesus has finished our redemption. We don't need to earn our way into God's love anymore. Right, but, but what is finished, right? Jesus says it's finished. And in creation, it's kind of obvious. God's like, it is finished. You're like, okay, get it. You just created the world. That's what's finished. But when Jesus dies, what is it that is finished? Right, it's not like he's like, and now it, th this thing, this thing, this thing, and now it is finished. Die. Right, he's just there, and then the last thing he says is it is finished. Right, what he means is he means that the law has been fulfilled. He means that the, the prophecies have been fulfilled. Jesus has lived the life that you and I should have lived, and, and he's died the death that we should have died, and now it is finished. Now, some people, when they hear that word it, they think it refers to work. Right, they, they think that means that, that we don't have to work anymore because, because work is a curse. But there was work in the garden, right? From the beginning, there was work. Work is a process of our lives. It's part of the, the blessing of God. But when man sinned, what was added to work? When man sinned, toil and the sweat of the brow were added to work. And see, what that is, is it's the work 
behind the work. It's that thing that causes exhaustion and weariness from our work. It's that drive to prove ourselves at work, right? It's it's the bad side of work. It's establishing security and confidence and significance and importance in our work. It's that work that makes us exhausted. It's the work that leads to burnout. It's the work that, that leads us to resenting the very thing that we're working at doing to make ourselves feel like we matter. But see, what happened is work was added to work, but it was the work behind the work that was bad, that sweat and toil of the brow. And see, so what's happening here is when the Sabbath was instituted for Israel, the very point was that they were to lay around in their homes so that people would wonder, what are you doing? Why is it that you can take a day off and steal your blessed? That every other nation would look at them and they would realize there's no competition between them because one nation is striving for something else and the other nation, the nation of Israel, is just following God. That they're not trying to be the biggest nation. That they're not trying to be the strongest nation. That they're not trying to be the nation in the, in the nicest place with the, the nicest lands, with the, the fattest cows. That they're a nation that all they're about is serving God. See, God provided for the Jews, and the Sabbath was to be a way to take the work out of doing work. To realize that the thing that you did in those six days of the week wasn't what made you a person. That it wasn't what informed you, that you didn't need to prove yourself, just rest. Right, and excuses would have crept into the Jewish people's minds. Right, but for other nations are out there building. Other nations are out there politicizing. Other nations are out there doing things. But, but God is saying he had it under control. And so because of that, the Sabbath shaped their other days. See, because you know that, that God shapes the way that you do everything when it comes time to be the Jewish people and to, to make that dirty deal, they would stop and think, well, does God want us to do it? Because God keeps this whole thing going. So if God doesn't want us to do it, even though it might give us an advantage, we will rest on this day knowing what the Sabbath means to us and not do the thing that God doesn't want us to do. See, it it is finished means that the the work didn't have to be about proving yourself. It is finished means that the work didn't need to be about being scared or being worn out. See, Sabbath is is not a 24-hour period anymore. For New Testament believers, Sabbath isn't a, a time that you set aside on your calendar and say, today I stay home and I do nothing. It's important to rest. It's important to have margin in your life. But that's not what Sabbath is to us. Because here's the thing. We don't need to work to prove anything anymore. Jesus has done it, right? He's done the work behind the work. And so what you do, you can just do it and enjoy it, right? We're supposed to have the most enjoyable existence. We're meant to be able to love our lives. We're meant to be able to put our hands to things and and the work behind the work is eliminated. So no longer are we worrying, man, if I do this thing right, will people like me? Man, if if I do this thing right, will I reach the status that I need to reach to make myself feel good about myself? Will I be able to earn enough money to, to attain the wealth that I feel that I need for my security? Will I be able to check the boxes and the, the list that I feel makes me successful in life? The Sabbath means that the work behind the work is done, so it is finished, which means that we're free. Just as I get the band up, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Right, we already talked about why did God rest on the seventh day in creation? Right, why did God stop and rest? Did God stop and rest because he was tired? 
I know. But God stopped him because he was bored. He was just like, man, in creation's boring. I'll just stop for a while. I'll watch some TV. I know. God stopped, not because he was tired, not because he was bored. The, the only reason he could have stopped was because there was nothing more to be done. That it was 100% complete, that there was nothing pending. See, when, when all is done, you rest. And you rest even if you're not tired. See, when Jesus is saying it is finished, it means that nothing can be added or subtracted. It means that our relationship with God, nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away from it. Not, nothing can be, more can be done when it comes to, to God's acceptance of us. When it comes to, to God's approval of us. When it comes to our relationship with God. And that means we don't need to work to impress God. That means that Jesus didn't die on the cross and we say, all right, Jesus, you died on the cross, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take your sacrifice for me and I'm just going to top it up a little bit. Because I know that you died for me and I know that you died for my sins, but I've been looking at God and He seems like a pretty, you know, intimidating fellow. So I'm not sure if Jesus, He's going to accept your sacrifice for my sins because I'm pretty bad. So, so I understand that, you know, you did it to about here for me, but I'm just going to top it up. Just in case, you know, God looks at it and he's like, oh, I don't know if, if your sacrifice, Jesus, quite covers Jono's sins. I don't know if that quite makes it. I don't know if that quite covers the debt that he's accumulated in his life through all the wrong things he's done. But see, so often this is how we approach our life. Right, like Jesus established some sort of baseline, but we've got to build upon it. Now, I've got to just impress you a little bit more, God. I've just got to earn my way into your love just, just a little bit more. I've just got to convince you just, just a little bit more to, to accept me. So you don't need to live a lifestyle to impress God. God is satisfied with you through Jesus. And here's the thing, if, if God is satisfied, you can be satisfied. Can you imagine how, how enjoyable we would be to be around if we lived this way? No longer striving, no, no longer yearning, no longer trying to, to earn. If our life was no longer filled with the stuff of working, of working for meaning or working for significance or, or working for forgiveness. See, Jesus has come and he's invited us to rest. Jesus has said that he will give us rest for our souls. So this morning, how long has it been since your soul has rested? How long has it been since you truly in your heart of hearts didn't feel weary and burdened? That you didn't feel weighed down? That you didn't feel like really you were trying to earn something? Like you were trying to be good enough? Like you were trying to, to attain? Like you were trying to, to just top it up? See, this isn't about eight hours of rest. It's about rest for our souls. How long has it been since your soul rested? Has it, has it been years of trying to prove yourself to others? Has it been years of working hard to get credit? What, what stuff has crept into your life? If you're honest and you look into your heart, what stuff has become your work behind your work? And by extension, your work. See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, just as I finish. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, our identity is connected to not what we do, but to who Jesus is and what He's already done. So this morning, Jesus is inviting us to a Sabbath of our soul, a Sabbath where we rest and we find satisfaction. Whatever we do doesn't define us. What we set our hands to doesn't define us. It's just what we do. Right? It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company or if you're making coffee. They're all the same. Because your job title doesn't define you. Jobs will come and go. That stuff is temporary. All of it. The only thing that will last is God's love and God's grace. Let's enter into that Sabbath rest. Right? What, what would happen if our church committed to this kind of life? This, this Jesus life. Imagine how attractive we would be as a people to people looking in from the outside. It is not a personality trait. It's about finding rest for our souls. See, this morning, maybe we need to believe. Maybe we actually need to believe. Maybe for the first time in a long time, I'm not earning God's love. Or maybe we've grasped that we're not earning God's love but we're not really receiving it. We think maybe I'll just top it up a little bit. Sure, sure, you know, Jesus' sacrifice covers my sins completely, but but maybe it would just be nice to give a little bit extra to God, just to show Him how grateful I am. Maybe I'll just work a little bit harder and and just pray a little bit longer and and just turn this gift that God has given me back into a gift that I'm gonna give Him, Just, just because I feel like I need to be in control in some sort of way. Maybe we need to believe. Maybe we need to receive. Maybe we need to remember. Maybe somewhere in our life, we just forgot that it's not about us. Maybe we're good at being restful Christians at church, but when we get to work, we're all about earning acceptance. We're all about earning love. We don't realize that God is actually control at work just as much as He is at church. That God is God of everywhere. That Sabbath rest applies to our entire life. Where do we need to find rest for our souls? Where do we need to do whatever it takes to remember that it is finished? Because here's the thing, when, when we remember this, when we know that it is finished, it removes anxiety. Because we stop striving. We stop taking something good and making it ultimate. We stop looking for love in all the wrong places. We stop looking for meaning in the wrong places. We stop trying to finish something that's already been done. See, where in life do you need to rest? This is real life with Jesus. The only way it's possible is when we believe God, when we believe His Word and we live it out in community with others. Jesus said it is finished which means we get to rest in our souls. So this morning, if you're here, just as we bow our heads and we close our eyes, if you're here and you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you did and somewhere along the way something happened and you are the one who holds the stars in the sky. You are the one who keeps the earth spinning. It's you, it's your responsibility, it's your role. If you don't want it to be that way anymore, it doesn't have to. 
In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And, and raising your hand isn't, isn't anything special except for it shows you. It's an action for you to realize you're making a decision. And it lets me know that you're making a decision so that we can support you. But I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And, and, and this prayer just says, basically, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. God, I can't be my God anymore. I need you. I can't earn it. I can't find rest in myself. I'm all work. I need your rest. So if you're here this morning and you know you don't currently have a relationship with Jesus and you'd like one, just as everyone keeps their, their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just to let me know that it's you, that you want to pray that prayer. Awesome, I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning? says, Jono, I need to pray this prayer. I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus again. Just one more time, if that's you, just raise your hand. Cool. All right, I'd like you to, to, to pray a prayer with me. Just re repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me. I'm sorry for trying to do it on my own. Today, I stop follow you. I love you. Be my boss. Be my Lord and my King. Thank you, because from today, I'm following you. In Jesus' name, amen. See, here's the other thing, though, right? Is we can all know that we've got a relationship with Jesus. And we can know it, but we can still be working. Right? And, and, and maybe it's just that over the course of life, we've developed habits. We don't mean to try and earn God's love, but we just fall back into that habit of performing in that certain way and expecting to, to get something from it, right? To get some sort of emotional gratification, to, to somehow earn God's love. See, we, we've gone over time, so what I just want to do is, is why don't you stand with me? And if you feel comfortable, I'd just like you to, to raise a hand or two. And I just want to pray for us that we would be a people that regardless of where we currently are, regardless of how we currently feel about God, that we would know more of His rest, that we wouldn't try and earn it anymore, that we wouldn't take a good thing and, and make it wrong by putting it in the wrong place and trying to get it to give us rest, that we would realize that our rest comes from God, that it's not in our ability, that it's not in our effort, but it's in His love. God, this morning I pray for us. God, as we gather here together as your people this morning, help us to know your rest. Help us to be a people that are defined by our rest in you, knowing that it's not us, that it's not our ability, that it's not our effort that makes any difference, that we're not topping up, God, that we're not trying to finish something that's already been done, but that we're resting in your love, God. God, and thank you for the freedom that comes with that that when we rest in your love, when we know who we are, when we know what you've said about us, when we know that it is finished, that we don't have to earn your love or earn satisfaction anywhere else, but that we can find it in you, God. Thank you that everything we lay our hand to now doesn't become a thing that we're trying to make give us satisfaction or give us give us a sense of, of, of worth or pleasure in, in, in that wrong way, God, but it can become what you intended it to be, God. God, let us be artists, God. 
God, let us be creators, God. Let us be people who, who put our hands to things and, and from that comes life because no longer are we trying to make that give us life, but, but what we do can be an outpouring of who you are through us, God. God, that no longer are we asking for our work to inform us, but we're saying, let me show the world how much God loves me through the way that I work. No longer are we trying to make our, our art or, or what we do or our relationships give us meaning, God. God, but we can show your love through them, God, that they can become what they were always meant to be, not something to inform us, not something to give us worth, not something to make us feel better about ourselves, but a way that we can show the world our God is love and our God is rest and our God is hope and our God is healing and that through you, God, we can find significance that it is nothing else but you, that we would be a people that rest in your name, knowing that you are love. Come on, church, let's lift up a shout of praise. Thank you, God, that we can rest in you, that nothing else, God, it is you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, this is one of those things that it's, it's a creep. Right in life we start and we're like, man, Sunday I'm resting in you, God. Sunday I know it's all you, God. I'm not earning your love. I'm not finding significance. Sunday I know it's you. But come Wednesday, all of a sudden I'm behaving like someone who thinks that it's me. Who thinks that I'm earning love. Who thinks that I'm finding satisfaction in the things that I do. Right, see, everything we do as a church is it's got an intention behind it, right? Nothing's a mistake. And we have these things called e-groups. And the intention behind e-group is that you would have a group of people around you who love you, who champion you, and who can point at something and say, I think you maybe put that in the wrong place. And it sounds like you're getting a bit too much worth from that. It sounds like maybe the hurt that you got from that going wrong, that feels like an overreaction to me. And that they can say that to you because you know that they love you. You know that they've got your best intentions. But I want to encourage you, if you're not currently a part of an e-group, there's more to life than you're currently experiencing. Life is bigger than what you're currently finding because life is community. It's us doing life together as a people, as a family. So we're going to finish up the service because we went over time. But I just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of an e-group, go down and, and, and see the black tent, red tent, red tent. See one of the tents. If you go to the wrong tent, they'll redirect you. You'll get a coffee if you go to the other tent. So that's, you know, win-win. But make sure you're a part of an e-group. Is it all right?